Brooke Schaff, thanks for coming on the pod today. I'm super excited to dive into the world of affiliate marketing. So uh, you've got a, a product or a, a marketplace that you've built, FMTC. Uh, it's, it seems kind of like what I understand is that you're connecting up the uh, affiliates with the platforms, or sorry, the merchants with the, uh, the platforms, uh, sort of uh, to enable this affiliate marketing channel for brands. Uh, I don't know if I got that right, but I'd love to just go into the, the rabbit hole of what you do and learn more about this affiliate marketing space today. Yeah, thanks, Brian. It's uh, Thanks for having me on. And affiliate marketing is, is our whole world. It's been uh, uh, just about my whole career. FMPC is a specialty vendor in the affiliate space that is kind of a hub for content. We get the monetized deal and product content from the merchants via the platforms out to the enterprise affiliates, in particular coupon and reward affiliates. We also work with some commerce content guys. Cool. Yeah, I see, like I was looking at your LinkedIn. We talked about this last time. Uh, like you, you have a pretty interesting background. Like you started at Zappos and uh, you were at shoes.com and Edmonds and all these like big dot-com era e-commerce brands. And uh you know, you've sold everything from like shoes to cars online. And yeah, uh, and uh, yeah, Zappos was a real success story. I stumbled into that job through a uh, through my brother, actually. He worked at a different company in the incubator Zappos was in. So right out of college, I became a marketing coordinator, which included affiliate management. And I, I took to it like a duck to water. Um, uh, that was in 2000, so over 20 years ago. And from Zappos, I went to competitorshoes.com, which was very educational and very painful. And then I had a uh, stint at Edmonds.com, which was a fantastic company, the car uh, car research company. Let's stay on, on Zappos for a minute. I'm curious, like how big was Zappos when you joined originally? Zappos was 20 odd people when I joined. They laid off about a quarter of the people, uh, not including me, uh, about I think it was like three, four months after I joined you know, because they had the big dot-com crash around 2000 and uh, Zappos got, got pinched, you know, the, a lot of the dreams kind of materialized, but it took um, years and, and uh, even decades longer than they thought for the how many people do you say it was when you were there? I want to say it was about um, uh, 20, 25 or so might've been more wow. might have been like 30. I think I was employed like number 52. So that would include like consultants and kind of people who would come and gone, I think I came in technically nine or 10 months after the company was founded. Wow. That's interesting. So it's like a totally, obviously Amazon owns it now. So it's like a totally different beast, but uh, what was, I mean, was it like obvious that at, at that time, like in the Zappos days, was it like obvious that it was going on to, uh, to like become what it, what it became? No, 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 no. Zappos almost folded. Uh, in fact, my job, my, my boss, I don't know if she was just being being kind or if this was true. She told me once the affiliate program hadn't been as successful as it was, uh, the company wouldn't have made it because it brought so much cash in. It was doing, um, uh, I think, over a million dollars a month in revenue by the time I left. And um, so I thought I was, you know, pretty hot stuff at the time. Um, the, uh, the subsequent role uh, taught me otherwise. And so the credit for it really goes to... Um, Gosh, the whole history there is pretty interesting. So there was a guy named Nick Swinburne, who was the real founder, and he hooked up with uh, two critical people. One was uh, Tony Shea, the late Tony Shea, who unfortunately passed, I think, last year or two years ago. And um, then a guy named Fred Mosler. And Tony was the, the tech guy and the money guy because he had previously sold an outfit to Microsoft for um, over $200 million. Um, and 
then Fred was like the shoe guy and the three of them together just were like very powerful. So they kind of brought in the culture and stuff, but Fred was the buyer knew the shoe industry, which is a very, um, was, is a very uh, sort of uh, close knit um, uh, industry, a little bit hostile to outsiders, like a lot of families and stuff, the shoe industry brands are really what carries it. And so Zappos was always jumping through hoops to try and get brands on board. They opened up a shoe store that we staffers, um, actually managed was probably the world's worst shoe store ever, like attached to the corporate office to get uh, brands. I think Birkenstock came on board and then they bought a brick and mortar shoe store in Northern California as Apple's was in San Francisco at the time. Uh, and that really brought the brands on board, which was very hard to get. Uh, they, they took the whole company to the big shoe conference in Las Vegas when I first started. And I remember like uh, the team would get like walked out of booths and stuff. It was very, very humbling. You know, they had a... Wow a real triumphant return later on because they figured out the online sales better than anybody else, which according to um, the book, um, um, the everything store was, I think why uh, uh, Amazon really wanted it. You know, they figured out those difficult uh, to handle management things with the shoe inventory and the, and the sizing and display. And a lot of that credit went to, um, you know, to Tony Shea, who, if he didn't, didn't architect it himself, but like he kind of conceived of it. And he always, he would always push, push, push for the things that drove conversion, um, including, you know, the affiliate program. And so um, it didn't have um, uh, qu quite everything, but Zappos really figured out the most important components um, and, you know, grew to be a billion dollar company. Um, and then of course was, was acquired by Amazon, uh, which knocked out a, you know, Amazon was a lot smaller then. So it knocked out a, um, meaningful competitor in the apparel space what was that like 2006 or 8 or something that amazon acquired zappos or what was the year i think you're right i don't recall offhand i think it was 2006 because my Zappos check, stock really. finally became liquid in uh, 2007 or 2008 after uh after a long delay um i'm just checking uh oh the press releases are 2009 oh was it 2009 um yeah, I could be misremembering uh, time-wise. We um, had started, my brother and I later started an agency. And I remember that the um, all, all that stock became liquid um, uh, during that time, which would have been, um, I, I thought, around 2007. Yeah, it was, it was November 2009 uh, when they did it. So, uh, yeah, interesting, man. So you, you skipped over a really interesting topic. Maybe you're being humble. I don't know. But... Uh, you're saying Zappos almost folded uh, in the early days. And like one of the things that maybe kept it going was the affiliate program because that was like, a, it sounded like you were saying that was like a key source of revenue driving the business and keeping it afloat. And you were the guy running the affiliate program, right? I was the guy running the affiliate program. And I, I just, you know, it was, it just made total sense to me, formed a lot of contacts in the industry. Now, a couple of things there. So first, you know, my boss mentioned it one time in passing. It wasn't like I got, you know, lauded for it. Um, uh, and, um, you know, I did, uh, you know, there, there was sort of, um, th there were some compensatory things that happened, which definitely indicated things that were sort of in a positive direction, but I never saw it on like a spreadsheet uh, like that. Um, but a couple elements that were critical then, which are, probably worth mentioning for affiliate was one thing that Zappos really, really succeeded with um, was the conversion rate. And that goes back to that sort of like that duo aspect of Fred Moser 
uh, overseeing all the buying and doing a really good job with that. And then all the technical components that Tony Shea saw through. So uh, really good compressed images, really good image quality, um, all those really nice things that really enhance the buying experience and that, that fanaticism over uh, customer service, which sort of like developed largely actually after um, after I left. But a little bit of what was there before, like they had this program that they shuttered, but like if you couldn't find it on Zappos, they would buy the shoe from like somebody would go to Nordstrom and buy the shoe and send it to you. And so um, with that formula, of course, you still need the sales to come in. And affiliate was a really good revenue source, a really good traffic source for the company. Uh, one thing that's very often forgotten when you look at the super successful um, companies is that there was always like some guy in the early days of the internet doing the same thing. So for example, Yahoo, I think in the late 90s, did like store versions, right? So you could do a storefront the same way you'd have it on, you know, later on eBay and then on probably like Amazon today. And so all these uh, brick and mortar guys who sold shoes or whatever else could go online and, and push it. And then it became sort of like a, a, an inventory and a marketing and a logistics game. And that was where Zappos really excelled. There were other online shoe stores, um, foremost among them Nordstrom, right? Nordstrom tried to get into the game. Uh, the company was all at Twitter when I think uh, an executive there ordered from Zappos and his name was somehow recognized or maybe the mail to address. Uh, online shoes, a, a bunch, a host of other companies. And it was this sort of stack of different things that, that Zappos did that made them excel at everybody else. And the, the flywheel, and it, for me, really spun because the conversion rate was so high, the affiliates wanted to work with Zappos because the earnings would be much higher. And then the affiliates were a lot of the ones who figured out you know, these early SEO tricks. Um, there was a company uh, called GoTo at the time, which later became uh, Overture, which gave, later became Yahoo uh, Search Marketing, which was basically the model for Google AdWords and affiliates, you know, really figured out all those keywords very early on. I actually managed that program too, if you can, if you can believe it. Because um, it was also, it was also new. It was also nascent, you know, the, all the super sophisticated stuff came in um, later on. And so having that marketing push uh, in a critical way that was like very direct sales, um, I think was one thing that did probably carry the company, but it couldn't have succeeded if the infrastructure hadn't been there for everything else. Yeah, there's a lot of ingredients that go into making a successful company. Just the the funnels, just one key part of it. But uh, yeah, it's, it's such an interesting story, like to hear, you know, these mega D to C brands that are, you know, uh, at the top of the uh you know, top of the world in terms of, you know, uh, tech execution, culture, and just reach and scale. And uh, it's interesting to hear like those early, early days when it's like, you know, white knuckle, not sure if you're going to make it or not. I want to take a quick break from the episode and say, if you're enjoying this content, the best way you can say thank you is to subscribe. So if you're on YouTube, hit the subscribe button and the notification bell. And if you're on one of the podcast platforms, hit the subscribe button there as well. And also share it out to your friends and colleagues. If you find this content useful and you think other people will enjoy it as well, please send it out. And back to the episode. Shea wrote the book, you know, um, uh, Delivering Happiness. And he talked a lot of, because those were his white knuckle moments more than, you know, they weren't mine. Um, and, you know, probably for like Fred Mosler and for Nick Swinburne as well. But, you know, he had like condos that he was selling and stuff to fund the company. And that was one of his many investments. That was the big one that really, really made it. And it was, you know, it was no guarantee. It was no guarantee shoes online would work. Everybody thought um, uh, the company was crazy because people want to see shoes, touch shoes, try shoes on, return shoes. 
Um, but it, you know, it was playing with a, a better than uh, a better hand than people anticipated because it's also a very high value item. It's, um, you know, you can easily spend a couple hundred bucks or more. Uh, it's high margin. Um, people really seek certain brands, et cetera, et cetera. So it ended up working out. Yeah, that's interesting. What was like, what was the big lever? You know, I think that was like your kind of uh, beginning of your affiliate career. I mean, that was, you know, probably as early back as affiliate marketing even goes like back to the 2000 era. What was like the big learning or, uh, you know, like the big lever that you were able to pull there? And I'm interested if there was like something that carries through all the way from those early days that's like still true today too. Yeah, I think it um it was kind of the wild west back then, and a lot of the people who entered the space were real characters. It was it's very it's, you know affiliate is very corporate today. There's very big money in affiliate. Honey sold for over four billion dollars to PayPal. That's a, a coupon and browser extension affiliates. There have been other multi, uh, hundred million dollar plus exits in the space, and the commerce content guys have gotten into it. The, the ecosystem has really changed. You know, back then you had a lot of stuff that was um, uh, gray hat. Um, but a lot of it was also, again, kind of in these new spaces. So the fundamentals, I think, are largely the same. You know, you have basically got a merchant, the merchant collects the money and the merchant pays out a commission. And one thing that worked out very well for Zappos and for me was um, I was very good at like the follow up, the outreach. And so it really put Zappos as a program on the map with, you know, the network thing that I did. Uh, CJ was our, our uh, uh, tr tracking platform. Uh, and they're still around doing doing quite well. And they, you know, just started their conferences. So went down there, met a lot of people, um, was very into sort of like the tech and the possibilities, which, you know, feels very primitive in, in hindsight, but it really did a lot for the program back then. And so if you could get your program to stand out, there were only so many programs that uh, that did that. And um, again, I can't emphasize the conversion rate enough because it, uh, my subsequent company, Shoes.com, that was just never there. And I, you know, I grew that program and had success with it but it was not nearly the same level because uh, that you know the, the marketer has to be you have to have like the front end of the shop and the back end of the shop and the marketers the front end of the shop basically and so the personal relationships are actually much harder to get nowadays you know affiliate is you know you have like all these spam email campaigns that go out i get them too some of them are affiliate related some of them are not i you know i got a bunch for um affiliate summit east with the with the app people just email you and it's like i I can't like there's not really a way for us to do business, you know, do some research before you, you reach out to me. And so with so much more noise, it's a lot harder to uh, to succeed. Um, and so the program really has to be something that's marketed almost like it's its own company. You know, you have this target market, which is this these affiliates. Maybe there's hundreds, maybe there's thousands. It depends on the space that you're in. You really need to sort of do deep networking. You really need to fight to like get the attention of these affiliates. you got to figure out how you can work with them. You've got to go into it with a good attitude. I, and I would say that's true regardless of um, what kind of uh, merchant you are, uh, because the space is just a lot more crowded uh, and competitive. And for anybody who's doing merchant affiliate program, you're basically competing sooner or later with Amazon, which has a um, which has a monster, you know, the, probably the granddaddy of all affiliate programs. Not the first. I think they're, you know, it usually gets dated in 96 or, you know, late 90s. Um, uh, but you know, today I think it's probably the world's largest, unless maybe there's something out of China, but I would, I would doubt that. So you got to basically be come in and, and do a lot of work. And if you're an affiliate manager, you got to coordinate with a lot of people internally, as well as a lot of people externally, you know, you got to get the deals, you got to get the content, you got to have the tech set up. And, um, I hate to say it, but, um, from our vantage point, it seems like, like most programs fall down, which is actually a huge opportunity 
for whoever the hustler is out there who can make the program come together, which you do see a lot of, but I think that there could be a lot more of, you know, whatever it is you're selling. Interesting. Yeah. So it sounds like it's kind of good old fashioned, like hand-to-hand combat with networking and sales to kind of get these things, especially in the early days of affiliate to get these things off the ground. It's like just good old fashioned, like shaking hands, kissing babies, kind of getting out there and just meeting people and, you know, getting the, uh, you know, kind of get, getting the right people connected, getting the the brands connected with the people who are out there putting out content or doing, you know, the kind of, uh, you know, newer cutting edge digital marketing. Yeah, I mean, you got to have the know-how, you got to have the resources, including the technical resource, the budgetary resources, the executive buy-in. You got to uh, have, you got to put in the um, the elbow grease too. So, you know, larger programs will often have multiple people who are working full time on them. You know, a team of three, four. That's what agencies do, and it's just a, a ton of work to manage this program. But for that, you know, you'll typically get pretty solid margin, pretty solid ROI returns. Um, and you'll be building something up of a moat because it's not easy to come in and displace you, unlike with, you know, Facebook ads or Google ads or programmatic advertising. So uh, we've been talking a lot from the perspective of the merchants. Like we talked about shoes and Edmonds and Zappos. Like these are the merchants who basically want to sell more product to consumers. And one channel, you know, obviously they have SEO, they have paid search, paid so- social. Uh, I think paid social is usually the biggest one for brands these days. Uh, affiliates are big, uh, affiliate channel, uh, you know, email, all that kind of stuff. Um, so let's flip it to like, I want to talk a little bit about the affiliate side of it. Uh, and I'm curious, like, what are some up and coming niches? Like I was looking at this one recently. It seems interesting to me. There's like this new trend around, uh, like ice baths and sauna, you know, like uh, sauna lights, like the red, red sauna lights that people buy. And like some of these you know, like a ice bath could cost like, you know, mid, uh, mid thousands, like, you know, five, $5,000 maybe, or $10,000 to order one. Uh, the, the sauna infrared lights, uh, those are less. I mean, they have some that are like, you know, a few thousand dollars. They have, you can get like just the light bulbs for like a couple hundred dollars each, but they're like high ticket items. There's, I think there's a good opportunity for like blogs or YouTube or like Instagram influencing around the, you know, TikTok influencing around those, those types of topics. It seems like a good niche for that sort of thing. I think another one that I've seen kind of like exploding is pickleball. Everyone's talking about pickleball these days. Uh, what are like, you know, what are you seeing in terms of like really interesting niches that are emerging or just like really good, like evergreen niches for affiliates to go in and tackle and like build good content, build lead gen pipelines, and then sell those, you know, essentially like refer those leads off to a a brand. Yeah, great question. I think the answer would be pretty tricky because the, the components that come together there, like, you know, what's the hot niche, maybe at least it's sort of like less competitive and then where the, where the earnings potential really good. Um, And I, I couldn't go as granular as sort of like the, the ice bass. That's a trend I've seen too. Actually on the, there's a, there's sort of a famous tech bro podcast called the all in podcast. They were talking about that last week. They're yeah. All yeah. I heard, I heard the episode. Yeah. I think some, maybe saunas came up on that too. And yeah, those cost thousands of bucks. Perfect for affiliate marketing, right? Because you can do your, your in-depth review. You can do review with your standalone website. You can do your review on YouTube and include your affiliate link, but you can track it with a coupon code. Um, you know, that's something that like the wire cutter or consumer reports could tackle. Um, and then it could go on a coupon site too, because people would look, look around for that stuff. And then as well, reward sites. 
So I would almost put it more in terms of sort of like the format and the channel that affiliates use. So a quick sort of note is that there's almost a, uh, it's not quite a controversy, but you know, the, the, the question that pops up from time to time in our space is, is affiliate a channel or is it multiple channels? And some people say, well, it's a, it's a channel of channels, which I think is correct. Uh, my own view is that it should be regarded as a channel because if you're the merchant paying the bills, you see it as a channel. It's on the other side where it's multiple channels because the affiliate can use any tool, right? They could do PPC arbitrage. Um, they could be on any social media. And then the lines often blur there with, for example, the influencer world, because if you're an influencer, you, you probably are good at getting uh, paid placements, but paid placements have to be sold. It's much more easy to get an affiliate deal. And then on the merchant side, um, you know, sooner or later, I think merchants get, get, get burned um, with a lot of paid placements. And so you have to track it. And that's exactly where the pre-existing pre affiliate tracking links come in. And they, the affiliate networks have the merchant relationships too. So you've actually seen a bit of a convergence in recent years of partnerships or acquisitions where the um, affiliate networks, these tracking platforms have acquired um, um, the influencer uh, platforms. Um, I think it's because the, the, the revenue anchors with the merchants. They're the ones who are paying the bills at the end of the day and they collect the dollars from the customers. So if you're an affiliate um, and you're trying to figure out like a niche or something, you got a lot of work ahead of you, but you can you can succeed wonderfully in um, very odd places. Um, and why do you say you know, that? Why do why do you say like if you're an affiliate and you're 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 at like I guess like stage one? Like let's say you know someone has the skills, they have the SEO chops, they have the the paid social, the paid Google chops. You know they they know they know how to like build a funnel and drive conversions but they like haven't done affiliate marketing. Maybe they've done like in-house brand work or they come from agency world. Uh, like why is it that they have a lot of, like what, what's the, what do they have to do if they're trying to figure out the niche to tackle and then go build their, their affiliate, uh, you know, their affiliate business. Like what, what, what's the hard work ahead that they have? Oh, what's not the hard work. <laughs> so Almost any space you're going to enter is very competitive. There used to be tools that would um, do keyword queries, so you could you know find what was like very low volume um, in terms of like paid bidding or like SEO opportunity. And even then, that was like 10, 15 years ago. It would, you'd, you'd always find it to be pretty competitive. And so these companies now have teams very actively like looking for the keywords, and they some of them can run very successful paid uh, campaigns around them. So it's very crowded. Um, and so one, you got to get your traffic, right? So you basically have to, you're either buying an arbitraging traffic, and these are not mutually exclusive, of course. You're playing the SEO game or you're tapping into or creating an existing community. So for example, um, there's a, uh, if, if you like have like a bank community, so, you know, Capital One bought a company called Wikibuy, very sophisticated browser extension. And um, they are then able to monetize their whole pre-existing community of all these uh, customers they have for their bank. Great opportunity. There's a company that does the white label version of the same thing called Wildfire. Um, and then if you look at, um, you know, like a, a company like, like Slick Deals, they have very active uh, user communities. Plenty of other companies do. A lot of walled garden sites, um, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So you have to find, you have to figure out basically your traffic strategy first. And then you got to figure out, well, what is my traffic looking to buy? You know, so Deal Moon uh, is in sort of like the coupon space as an affiliate, and they're very famous for tapping into Asian American communities, including uh, trans ship, shipping stuff. And they, you know, have affinities for certain brands that are sold in the U.S. 
And so it, it, it's a very daunting task because you got to go through, figure out all the merchants that are good to work with, and then you got to track through and do the reporting and analytics to see where you're making uh, your money. And so, frankly, a lot of people just stay in the Amazon Associates uh, uh, or affiliate ecosystem. They they call their affiliate program their Associates program, and um, uh, then like they do their whatever product review sites. Some of them are really high quality sites. Some of them are just total junk. Some of them are blogging, and it's like the side monetization. So. It can be a lot of different things. And then you also have to pick what your goal is. You know, are you trying to build up a huge business to sell? Um, like, you know, best reviews. I got me Ben Fa. He sold that a few years ago. I think he did that coming out of business school. He's playing around with some other stuff in the affiliate space. A lot of those sites have proved very durable, very, uh, very sellable. Um, but they're they're real enterprises, right? You're starting a real business as opposed to being sort of like a guy doing it on the side, like you know, you got like a, a beekeeper site or something. I came across a very interesting niche recently. Um, my uh, irrigation company recommended like this weather station. They actually sell this weather station. And I looked up for reviews and I found a review of a site dedicated to weather station equipment, you know? Wow. And so the volume of traffic is just so high that if you can get like SERPs and you can get people going to your site and you're providing that value and their value is very high, right? They're rating stuff that like you would never get in like an Amazon review uh, or like, you know, they're doing testing and stuff on the equipment. They test these very specific uh, very niche factors. Um, that's like hugely valuable to me as a consumer. And that kind of space is, is just, it's only going to continue to grow. You know, affiliate was, um, was maybe still is the redhead stepchild in the um, online marketing and advertising ecosystem. Yeah, people um, like, I, I just want to, I want to interject one thought here or one, one example here, like people, I think kind of like write off affiliate as just like rogue, you know, SEO people to kind of doing their own thing. Uh, but like, you know, I'm looking here at like nerd wallet, uh, publicly traded, uh, you know, $540 million in revenue in 2022, $700 million market cap. And their entire business is affiliate marketing, right? They're just selling like right leads to banks basically. Yeah. And, you know, huge, huge success story. Right. And, um, uh, the points guy, um, you know, slightly different, but kind of in that same general space, uh, there's a real gosh, that, that, that brings up a host of other sort of topics, you know, like tr trust, right? Like you can form, I think, a better bond generally and then monetize better as an affiliate with those trust links that go to a direct purchase thing. And also it shouldn't be overlooked. Affiliate is for major publishers, a, typically a piece of the pie. Um, a year or two ago, there was a panel and um, they were talking about how affiliates sort of becoming the third tentpole for meaningful online publishers. The, you know, the first two are subscriptions, classic course, and then programmatic advertising, uh, which also includes stuff you're selling directly, and then affiliate. And affiliate has been hugely successful for a lot of these old properties. So DotDash um, bought Meredith, an old school publisher that I think had titles like Better Homes and Gardens. And I just saw a fireside chat with their, I think, chief commerce officer was the title. And she was saying how, you know, DotDash was sort of like the bus, sorry, the dog that caught the bus. Um, but that was a really good catch because they were able to um, implement this affiliate monetization model into all of these classic sites, which like really revitalizes them. It supports so much content. They call it uh, service, service journalism uh, because there's really uh, attractive content and they have to make the content good so, so people want to read it. Uh, and then it's associated with affiliate links, which is like the most natural thing in the world because it's, it's, your, it's an improvement over like traditional advertising, which is just related and nearby, which again, they still totally have. Um, another example is, you know, the Wall Street Journal had their, um, they celebrated the one year anniversary of their 
uh, commerce content campaign called the buy side, uh, which is following, you know, in the footsteps of, um, you know, the New York Times Wirecutter, um, you know, BuzzFeed's been playing this game for a long time. Um, it's almost, if you're in charge of like site monetization on the publisher side, uh, I think it's quickly becoming expected that you have to have at least considered affiliate. Now, maybe it's not a fit for your business for some reason, but it 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 should probably be in the mix. I was talking. It seems CPM. like it seems like a mistake not to, right? I mean, you know, I I think like CPM is you know cost per mile is like the ad the ad uh, strategy. Like if you're running ads and uh, you know whether you have your own ad sales team, maybe that's how you really make money is if you have your own ad sales team. But if you're using like AdSense or one of these ad serving platforms like programmatic ad serving, it's not super uh like it's not super super lucrative compared to something like i would imagine like doing a well st strategically executed affiliate program across like maybe multiple strategically executed affiliate programs across many pieces of content yeah and it's not either or it's it's really both and yeah interesting okay um so what's like what's the difference between you know, I'm curious, like the nuance between influencers and affiliates, like where do you draw the line and how do you like clearly define one versus the other? Because like revenue model, I guess they're both kind of similar. Maybe maybe affiliates more paid for performance and if influencer might be more paid for like reach. But uh, what's uh, what, what do you define as the difference there? Yeah, great question. So I just described affiliate as the redheaded stepchild to sort of carry on the family metaphor. I think affiliate might be vis-a-vis -vis influencer, the jealous older brother. Um, you're saying your influencers are the jealous older brother or? No, uh, affiliate is the jealous older brother and, and influencer is the uh, pre precocious and um, attention getting younger, younger siblings. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> we need to make characters for these. Uh, these oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll mid-journey it. So I saw a stat, I think it was, it was one of the big consulting agencies. It might've been Bain or, or, or another that projected like a hundred million, hundred billion dollars in global um, revenue to influencers in, I think by like 2030. So you definitely fact check those numbers, but I think the hundred billion is correct. And, you know, affiliate is sort of like, you know, 10 ish plus billion dollars in the, in the U S by recent estimates. Uh, and it's, you know, an eighth or a 10th of the size of programmatic advertising, um, and then, you know, the, those are much smaller than the wall gardens, you know, Facebook and, and Google and, you know, Amazon's in the mix with their, their stuff too. And so at any rate, affiliate is growing and it's growing. At a what did you call level. Facebook? The walled garden? Yeah. Wall garden, Facebook, Google, you know, you want the, you know, it's where their, their customers, uh, where their eyeballs are playing. You, um, that, that's the wall, you know, you can go. I've never heard that term before. It's interesting. Oh yeah. One of the big terms in, in online advertising and, um, so affiliates growing and it's, it's growing strongly, but like other stuff is just totally uh, soaring past. And I think there, there's probably like a lot of factors in play. One is again, going back to the work, it, affiliates a lot more work. It's just harder to deploy cap capital. You know, if you came to me and said, hey, Brooke, I got a million bucks to send, spend on an advertising campaign over, you know, a month, a year, whatever period of time, um, what would you do with it for, for affiliate? And I would write you up a whole bullet point. It would involve all these people. But if you went to like a programmatic guy, he could go, or, you know, <clears throat> one of the platforms, they could say, oh, I'll take your money, <laughs> you know, and poof, there it all goes. And I think the results of that are often very uh, dubious. The metrics are very dubious, you know, half your dollars probably go to bots and so on and so forth. And that's a big uh, problem. I mean, I see it all the time with uh, even Google search, or Google paid search, man. It's like, there's so much bot click. 
No, it's totally true, right? And in fact, I think YouTube got in trouble for that recently for their for their metrics. And so it's funny. It's kind of funny because affiliate, uh, I would say, ironically, comes under the most scrutiny uh, of all the channels. Um, uh, but affiliates get paid for results, right? But they get paid for results, and also the merchant has the most controls because a merchant you can uh, you can often exercise too much control in terms of crediting affiliates because Facebook or Google or pro, you know programmatic they charge you for the click or impression. You can get a refund if you can prove you know fraud or something like that. If I'm a brand, man, affiliate to me sounds more appealing than, even if I'm paying a little bit more, seems more appealing than uh, cost, you know, cost per click because uh, exactly what we're talking about, this click fraud, like it just seems so prevalent. Like there's constantly fake clicks coming in. It's really weird. It always gets overlooked, you know, comes up a couple times a year, fades away. It's almost like politics, you know, it's like, you're like, why isn't there more of a scandal around whatever politician? Uh, and it's just sometimes it's just a, or celebrity or whatever, you know, it's just sometimes kind of like a mystery. And so um, for, for whatever reasons, I think that's kind of how it is. And um, so it's, it's, it's more work to deploy those dollars in affiliate. And you also sort of reach a point of clear diminishing returns more quickly. You're like, hey, get an ROI, great really hard for me to find more affiliates that goes back to the work thing and it grow it tends to grow more slowly so why do you think that is it's hard i mean there, there's a lot of sharp digital marketers out there is it just that like the affiliates need to already be in the niche and have a platform or would you say like taking on a new affiliate who's just really good at like lead gen or or customer acquisition that's like new to the niche uh would that be an option when i did sales training they said there's no such thing as an efficient human relationship. So I think right there, that's a big piece of it. The onboarding takes somebody time, uh, which is actually why my company exists. We really exist to reduce the friction in deployments of affiliate content as, as, a, as a business to business provider. And so you got to find everybody, you got to connect with them somehow. Um, there's an onboarding process, even for the coupon reward sites, You know, some of which work with tens of thousands of merchants. And then if it's a smaller like commerce content guy, it's almost more like a PR pitch, like, hey, put my product in your article, you know, I'll send you a free one or I'll send you a sample or whatnot. It's a lot more work on their side. It's, you know, the work is proven from an ROI perspective, but they only have so much bandwidth. So you hit these real human bandwidth constraints uh, in affiliate. Uh, And then also, you know, you just, you know, if if a relationship works, you're, you know, it's very elegant because the, the, the remuneration is commensurate with the value um, driven, but there's only so much value driven. So it's not like programmatic advertising where you can always sell more and more and more impressions. Um, um, it, it's, you know, it, it ends up being very ROI uh, uh, anchored. Yeah, interesting. So uh, that's a good segue uh, for you to talk probably more about, like, I'm curious what FMTC does. I'm, I'm not uh 100% clear on what you guys do and I'd love to kind of learn more about that uh and I'm sure you know I'm sure you'd love to share that with the listeners as well so uh you know go uh, go down the rabbit hole I'd love to kind of learn more about what you guys are doing my mom is also not clear on what we do so you're not alone in uh in a nutshell FMTC is a platform for distribution of deals and products in the affiliate space. So we take the content which is monetized, we clean it up, test it, we aggregate it, we normalize it and then we distribute it. And if you are an affiliate that cares about quality content for your users, 
you are either using FMTC uh, or you are doing it yourself. And it is better, faster, and, and cheaper to use FMTC. So like when I think of affiliate, I think of, um, you know, like let's use, uh, let's use like Amazon as the example. Um, let's say I've got like a really popular blog or, you know, even just like a medium popular blog that's got some regular readers. It's got some good search traffic coming in from Google. And I'm like, you know, let's say the theme around it is, uh, you know, like gardening tips and uh, how not, you know, how to like, you know, make your, uh, you know, I heard if you put like some sort of citrus in your hydrangea, uh, you know, put citrus into the soil for hydrangeas, they turn blue. So I might have an article about like, you know, putting putting citrus into the oil for hydrangeas. And then, uh, you know, maybe you have um, uh, some sort of product on Amazon that helps you do that. And in the, in the blog, I link to the Amazon product with my Amazon affiliate link. And then I forget what Amazon's paying these days, like 4% or 5% or whatever they pay. If that user clicks the link and goes to Amazon and then makes a purchase, I think it's even if they make a purchase in the same session, that's not even the product. Like maybe they click through and they just like start shopping on Amazon and buy whatever they buy a TV. Uh, I get a commission on that. And uh, so that is that, is that all accurate so far? Yeah. And uh, what you just referred to is a very famous, uh, uh, what they call the halo effect with Amazon. And um uh, yeah, there's a lot going on there in that uh, whole ecosystem. There's a whole new generation of like seller networks. But yeah, the short of the long is you are an affiliate. You, you provide a tracking link that gets tracked back to you when there's an action taken. So that could be a sale, but it could also be a lead generated. And then you get money for that sale or lead as your commission. So then where where do you fit into that ecosystem? At FMTC, like you, you were talking about content, Uh are you helping that user write the article or write the content about the the hydrangea and the citrus you know strategy in the soil or what 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 exactly do you guys do? Yeah, great question. So we do not help with the writing of the content at all or identifying whether we're right about you know hydrangeas or petunias or um, arbors or something else in your garden. What we will do is we we will say, hey, you um, have all these links to all these tracking platforms. You want the monetized link and you want the content, which is the coupon, the deal content, like, you know, buy one, get one free, 10% off. And so we provide that. And we normally provide it on an API basis uh, to our enterprise customers so that they can integrate it and deploy it, um, you know, uh, dozens of times a day across um, thousands or even tens of thousands of merchants. Mm, I think I get it. So you, you're you like merchants that want to deploy their own affiliate program. Uh, you provide the tracking links for them. Right, but we're not doing the tracking itself. We're taking the tracking links from companies like Impact, CJ, Awin, ShareSale. Uh, and then we are sending our subscribers their own tracking links married to the clean content. Okay, interesting. All right. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't, I'm not in this world totally. So I'm like, there's like something around the edges that I'm not fully grasping. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's 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 interesting. So it's like, it's the uh, so it, if if you're if you're an affiliate, uh, how how does the affiliate interact with your platform? So the affiliate is our subscriber. So the affiliate subscribes to us, and then we send the data that helps them make more money. Okay, like which merchants to use and how to uh, like yeah, we have uh, indexes on the merchants, and then the merchants provide the content. But what you need to understand is that with um, we have about 20,000 merchants, and many of which go in inactive. And so there's like, this, there's like this 
this constant flux of content. And then the merchants are putting in new deals all the time, but the deals are often bad. They go to the wrong landing page. They have bad copy. Um, the coupon code doesn't work. And so if you're the, the affiliate, you want all that stuff to work. You want to go to the, the right page. You want the link to track, et cetera, et cetera. And so you need somebody to clean it all up. And that somebody uh, to provide, to, to clean it all up and provide the inventory and that, that somebody is FMTC. Oh yeah, I got you. So like maybe, you know, that hydrangea example, maybe like, you know, they start out and Amazon's the best affiliate offer, but then maybe like, you know, later on Home Depot is better. Uh, you guys kind of like switch out the Amazon for the Home Depot link on the back end, and then make it uh, kind of seamless for the affiliate so they don't have to manage all that. Is that right? Yeah. And so it's usually like if somebody's doing a one-off blog, we wouldn't come in as much and in, in play. It's more if somebody has an automated a site that automatically updates. So if you have a site and you have like say ten thousand merchants on the site, you want all the latest deals for them at any given time. You would make an API call to us. We send you all the content, and then you can update your whole site with ten thousand merchants all at once. Interesting. So it's like for like maybe deals websites or comparison websites or right. Yeah, exactly. And the reward websites, but the the infrastructure is important too. And we have some other products that we provide data on uh, as well. And so we can work with other guys. So if you're just working with Amazon, you're probably not working with FMTC. But if, if you're working with, a, you know, a couple hundred, couple thousand merchants, you really need support for that infrastructure. And you can build it yourself, but you need, you know, the developer, you need somebody in business development, you need human beings to go through the data. So that's where FMTC represents an efficiency. I got you. Then the merchant side, it's like two-sided marketplace. So the merchant side, you have to, uh, you know, you, you have to have the merchants to be able to plug in to the affiliate ecosystem. So you're kind of like going with the merchants, get it, you know, working with them to get them into your platform and ecosystem so that you, that you can then serve them to the affiliates as needed. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Cool. Yeah. That, that's pretty awesome. So uh, who are like, do, do you have any... You know, you have you have some logos on here like Rakuten and J Crew and eBay and Grubhub and Callaway. Like, I guess these are some of your merchants that you integrate with uh, to serve to affiliates. Yeah, it's actually a mixed bag. So we tend to we throw in the logos of the networks, the merchants, and, and some of the affiliates. Um, we're not allowed to say who all of our subscribers are, but almost every major name um, uh, in, among the enterprise affiliates uh, works with FMTC. Okay, interesting. What's like uh, an enterprise affiliate, I guess, like would you consider like NerdWallet? We used that example earlier. That's that's like an enterprise affiliate. Yeah, they would be because of the size of the company, but they they don't really do the, the, the coupon space. Like you were saying, they're mostly financial offers. Right. So um, they but don't that's like the size you're talking about, like a company that yeah, size. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so big companies like Capital One Shopping or Honey, Rakuten Rewards, which used to be Ebates, uh, Groupon has a very large affiliate portion, uh, tons of other coupon and reward sites are out there. Yeah, and most of these companies, like you don't realize how big they are, but I've heard about a bunch. Like I've, I heard about one recently that's like over a billion dollars in the enterprise software space. And they just basically have like 30 or 40 different websites and it's like all different websites, like ones about like, you know, ERPs for, uh, you know, manufacturing companies. It's like, you know, they have a whole blog, a whole like website blog about that. And then they literally just like do reverse IP lookup and capture leads on who's on the website. You know, if 
a manufacturing company needs an ERP, they're going to Google like ERP, you know, manufacturing ERPs, and then they land on this website and then they're selling the info to like SAP and Oracle and NetSuite and, you know, all this stuff. Like they're just selling off the, the leads data. And I'm sure they have like different levels of intent for the lead data. So they have like different tiers, I'm sure probably, but like they rolled up like 30 or 40 of these websites, all, all in different niches and have this like billion dollar, you know, multi-billion dollar conglomerate of uh, you know, basically like lead gen or affiliate marketing. Uh, I mean, there, there's probably like a surprising number of those types of companies out there that like just nobody know, like nobody knows about them unless they're in the space. Is that right? Yeah, like, you know, large companies you've never heard of, you know, a company called Vertical Scope comes to mind, Red Ventures comes to mind. You know, maybe scope, you know the parent company, maybe you don't. Uh, but these guys are all playing the affiliate game. Again, it's a it's a piece of the pie for them. It's a piece of the puzzle, um, but it's a pretty good piece. And it should be managed to be profitable. And yeah, to your point, like all those leads um, for like business leads, it may, it may go by another name, but that's basically the same model. It's an affiliate commission model. You send me the you send me the valid lead, I send you money, uh, and that's a very sustainable relationship. Yeah, dude, this is so awesome. I just went to Vertical Scope's website, and they have like a super like boring corporate looking website. But then you look at they have they call them communities, and they have like you know all these I don't know the brands, but there's like I can guess what they're about like Guitars One Hundred One, iFish.net, Dog Forums, uh, like SailNet, like a sailing community. So I guess they're all like blogs and forums basically. And, uh, and they uh, just like monetize their traffic through affiliate revenue. Like they just like, essentially they're, they have like brands that want the data on their users and they monetize through like when their users are interested in making a purchase, they'll convert. And then that's the, uh, that, that, that's the, that's their revenue model. Right. And I think they, they make money other ways too. Um, again, like the, the programmatic or display thing. Uh, but affiliate definitely works out as a piece of the action. And it's, it's publicly uh, announced with some companies. Um, you know, BuzzFeed's had some trouble recently. But um, if you look up their earnings that are published, it's, you know, you'll see something like commerce revenue that generally is like a roughly synonymous with affiliate. Yeah, it's crazy, man. I'm on this vertical scope. They're publicly uh, traded and it says... Uh... Where's their, um, oh, I can't see their market cap for some reason, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy, man. There, there's like a huge, uh, a huge, like, I mean, I, I want to call it like undergrounds, but there's a huge, like, just sort of, you know, mishmash of all these companies and, and they're, they're, they're way bigger than, than I, I've realized until like, until I go down the rabbit hole on one of them, I'll definitely check this one out later. But until I go down the rabbit hole on one, it's like, you know, there's so many of these things under the hood. Uh, I had a friend actually, he uh, started a forum like years and years ago and uh, maybe he got off the train early, but uh, he had forums about like credit cards. Yeah. And I think he sold them to Amex. I think Amex bought them. Uh, and it was like, I, I remember him telling me about it. It seemed like a pretty like sizable exit. And this was like back in, I don't know, I think it was before 2010 when he when he sold it and uh, i remember thinking like wow that seems like a lot of money for a forum like i could just go and like get bb press or whatever and just like slap up a forum real quick and you know it, it seems like a lot of money for a forum but i guess like if you have really good uh user metrics and you can convert convert those users to uh you know to uh to customers of a of a 
a brand that's you know interested in acquiring those those customers it, it seems like there's a really good business opportunity in this affiliate space and uh, i wonder why um yeah i i wonder why it's like you know you you talk about this connotation of like the redheaded stepchild i've, I've heard that before and i wonder why that's the case well, I think maybe affiliate marketing has not marketed itself well. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, to be frank, there has been a lot of um, very bad stuff that's happened in the lead space. You know, that's where you can lose your shirt because you can sell somebody Mickey Mouse leads um, um, to the point where they go insolvent. Um, so as the merchant, you have to protect yourself against that. Um, but by and large, I would argue that the protective measures that a merchant or an advertiser can take are probably better than any other channel and for no other reason than the fact that you can, you know, you're the one who reconciles uh, all the costs at the end of the day uh, before you pay them out. And so um, I, I, you know, to, from my perspective, like we were talking about earlier, the, all the stuff that goes on in the other channels um, is sort of, people are kind of like under aware of it and they're sort of like over aware of it with affiliate, which is, you know, as an affiliate marketer, a drum that I, I beat on. Because I think our channel, I, I think our channel overall is under um, under resourced, under budgeted. Like it, it should get more resources, and we do very well. Um, it would continue to, to really prosper if, if it got more more dollars, tech investment, et cetera, more attention. Dude, I, I got a question for you. With like, I've seen this being more and more of a trend. Like you know, USA Today and you know, New York Times and like all these, you know sort of like historically you know they, they were like news publications and now they're turning into these clickbait websites and they'll have like clickbaity articles that are pretty short you you read through it it's like two paragraphs and then you get to the bottom and then there's like these extra like ridiculous clickbaity articles like just over the top uh level clickbait and uh like what what's the strategy there like how is that monetized what what's do you, do you know anything about that yeah you're talking about like the the to Tabula and Outbrain stuff. Yeah, I think it's Tabula. Yeah, what is that? Yeah, so I was very curious when I saw that too. So that's not affiliate stuff really. Although um, those companies have actually bought companies that own sub-affiliate networks, which might not be a rabbit hole we, we go into right now. But that model of like the, the super, you know, what's the celebrity look like now? They yeah, exactly. Out. It's basically a form of arbitrage, right? Like you pay a penny for the click that goes in, um, and then, but you make two pennies on the landing page based on the impressions that you show. Um, there was actually something of, um, I don't know if you quite call it a scandal, uh, but it was scandalous where the Association of National Advertisers, which are guys that are kind of in the open open web programmatic space, they estimated that, um, I think this is like an uh, 80 or $90 billion annual spend globally. And they, they found that like 20% of the traffic was going to what they called made for advertising websites, which, which are, you know, clickbait. Um, they've been done by people, you know, the content's probably moving toward AI, but the idea is they're not really real sites. They don't really generate real value, but they harvest these advertising dollars. I think 15% of the dollars was estimated to kind of go to them. And so a lot of people feel like that's just pouring money into the sand. Um, and I think that you can get around working with those sites too, if you're the advertiser, but you have to jump through extra hoops to sort of set those controls into place. And so to, to me, as an, as an affiliate marketer, it just seems like you have this opportunity for spending a lot of your dollars on very low value stuff, where you should be investing that as, as much as possible, because there's probably a limit to it. 
but as much as possible, you should be putting that in the affiliate channel instead. It's almost like you want to start with the affiliate channel because it's going to take the most time. It's going to be the most work, um, but it might have the best returns for you too. And if you're an advertiser, I mean, I just, uh, I said the New York Times earlier, I meant the New York Post, but uh, I'll share my screen here. If you're an advertiser, uh, uh, for the non-YouTube listeners, you'll just have to hear hear what I'm saying. But uh, if you're on YouTube, you can see the screen. Uh, you know, scroll down in this art. I just clicked the first article on New York Post and you scroll down and it's like, you know, here's the clickbait stuff. Like, uh, you know, don't play this game if you're under 40 years old. Then it has like this weird looking woman that's got like a weird, like clearly yep. like AI generated face. And it's like, if I click it, it just takes me to... All right, so I guess, and this is like a super vague landing page. It says, welcome, are you 18 years or older? I'm not going to click yes, because I don't know where this is going to take me. But, uh, you know, it seems like it's trying to, um, like, it's probably like a video. It's like a mobile app game or something, and it's like super vague. And they're, I guess they're just trying to, like, you know, kind of get you to convert on this game or something. It, it seems like what the strategy is on this one. Yeah, that's a great yield model right because the the games are very good at arbitrage like and that those are very sophisticated right so they know that they can they know that they can buy it for three cents or five cents or ten cents or whatever it is um and so yeah that's that stuff i would argue you know does not make the site more more attractive um is not really a great user experience but i think a lot of these uh publishing guys have felt that they've had sort of no choice but to go over to them because it's been harder for them to sell ads you know the um the print papers were cash cows, but but that was like a long, long, long time ago. And there what were, was uh, cash cows? Uh, the print papers, you know, with the classifieds before Craigslist. Uh, but that, you know, that was a world away now, right? And so these guys, I think a lot of the sites are, um, some of them are outright desperate to sort of like make that money. And so like, that's what they go toward is like the clickbait, the sensationalism, uh, because it's a great way for them to, to monetize at the end of the day. And it's an easy way too. like, you know, you just, it's probably like some JavaScript or a pretty simple site implementation. But yeah, that stuff's not, um, I would not consider that stuff to be affiliate. I would put that in personally in sort of like the display bucket. Yeah, interesting. Okay. Um, talk about the ad arbitrage a little bit. You brought that up. Uh, I've I've seen people do it before, so I'm familiar. But, uh, you know, I think it's, uh, it's like, it's, it's another one of those interesting business models that, uh, you know, it, it's just kind of, uh, it's kind of interesting what people do to, uh, to drive traffic and, you know, sort of like create conversions online. Uh, is that like, is the ad arbitrage something that affiliates use often? And uh, just talk through how that works. I would, so I'm not an affiliate. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm right next to the space. Uh, so take this with a grain of salt, but it seems to me that that business and affiliate has sort of faded a little bit because the advertisers, um, you know, they were, they were led into a lot of channels by affiliate first. Um, but then when they became, um, more established, the advertisers put more dollars in and that actually crowds out a lot of the affiliates because they have a margin to play with, right? Like you're paying money to get somebody from, um, you know, whatever the source site is to your site and they have to go on to either submit a lead or shop at the merchant, et cetera. So the, the classic arbitrage game for affiliate, I would say was probably like trademark plus term, like they buy the Google AdWord for, you know, Macy's, uh, Macy's coupon would be a good example, or, you know, Macy's anything. And then that's probably very high intent to convert. I think you probably argue the user just like wants to navigate to, to Macy's or to wherever. 
And so that was largely banned um, by most merchants um, because they would just do it themselves. Now, some merchants still allow it on an open basis. Some merchants allow it with permission. Some people argue that it's actually better because the affiliates can sort of like sandbag the competition if the affiliates use their own domains. So it's more, it's actually a little bit more nuanced and complex and worth kind of consideration uh, on the merchant side. But the short of the long there is between like the crowding out of the cost going way, way up, which are probably honestly ROI negative. Like actually speaking of keywords, I think for a lot of merchant campaigns, I've actually seen um, the, the merchant campaign would be unprofitable except for the profitability of the uh, trademark terms. So I take the trademark terms out, which are ridiculously profitable. Um, and then everything else is actually like a lot of money loser for the merchant because the, the terms are so expensive. So clearly some merchants really figure that game out, but it requires you to have a deft hand. Um, and then if you do, you know, you can have soaring success, but that's a clear pattern as like the ad costs go up, it drives people out. They kind of like, you know, go on to new pastures, explore like the frontier. And so um, with that and the permission change, I just don't see, think you see quite as much affiliate action there anymore. But, you know, you will still see ads for like affiliate apps where they want to get a user for their app. Um, websites occasionally, they do run TV commercials. So like you'll see the big coupon guys run TV commercials at, at least at certain times of years. Um, so that's all sort of like forms of, of ad arbitrage. But it's not quite the same as like the Taboola thing as, as a general practice. Do you consider it, uh, is it considered an affiliate if like, let's say the, the, like the ends customer, like the, like the merchant, or maybe it's not like a, a retailer, but let's say it's like, you know, even a services business, whoever's like receiving the lead or the, or the sign up, uh, if they don't actually have an affiliate program, but like, you know, somebody who's like generating this traffic goes to all the companies in an industry and like goes and like essentially sells them on a leads program. Like I'm, I'm thinking of this example called uh, clutch.co in the agency space. Uh, you have a uh, screen share? Yeah. Here, let me do a quick screen share on that. So um, clutch is like, is basically, um, you know, it's like a kind of like Angie's list for like software development agencies and for like web development agencies and digital marketing agencies okay. like come here and says like hire the right, you know, social media company with confidence, hire the right web design company with confidence. You can say like what service you're looking for and what location. And then basically they have like sponsored listings. And then they also have like a pay, like a, like a, they call it their matchmaking program. And, but you basically like bid and then pay for the lead. Uh, yeah, but yeah, like yeah. the agencies on this website, there's like thousands of agencies, like they don't actually like have affiliate programs, but clutch just goes and sells, sells this marketplace to all the agencies and built this like collection of brands in their, in their agency portfolio. And then they basically just crush it on SEO and, and like paid Google. Uh, and then they just drive, they're, they're just like a traffic driver. Basically they drive, they drive leads to the agencies. So uh, is that something that uh, you would consider affiliate marketing or what do you, what do you consider this? Yeah, it's sort of like affiliate marketing because you're paying for a lead. Um, but this is the same model as like, you know, G2 or kind of like Yelp, like they exactly. make it really yeah. valuable. They should add everybody. But then there's like a, you know, sort of like the free rider issue they have to deal with. Um, so, yeah, I would say it's, it's, it depends kind of who you ask, like affiliate style might be the most fair, but, you know, selling leads at the same time probably predates uh, affiliate marketing. And so the affiliate program would more typically be like, if this company Clutch had an affiliate program and said, hey, send me a lead, 
and I'll give you money, which is actually what I did at Edmonds because Edmonds sold its leads to the, to, the, to the car dealers. But then we had an affiliate program from like car related sites to get leads from them. And then that was like super profitable for us because Edmonds had the infrastructure to sell those leads like for, for top dollar basically. And then the other guys who were sending us traffic could get the traffic, but they didn't have the infrastructure to like, you know, sell to every dealer uh, in the country. And so like, that's a very classic sort of like value chain you'll see in the lead ecosystem. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I had a friend who did that uh, with uh, what's the job website that everyone uses. Uh, Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. He was basically like getting paid for sending uh job application. Like at, when someone applied on Indeed, even though technically that wasn't like Indeed doesn't charge per applicant, but I think the more applicants they get, the more value it is to their customers. So they can keep charging that like whatever $300 or whatever per job posting. Yeah, sort of like Netflix, right? Like it's not Netflix gets all their subscriber revenue from everybody in aggregate. And then they sort of like pay a certain amount to, I guess the movie is based on either a flat fee or how much they're watched or something. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Um, all right. I want one more topic I want to hit. So we were talking last time we met about uh, iOS and how they're, um, you know, kind of like tra- they're blocking tracking, they're blocking UTM codes, they're blocking, uh, you know, pick, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of like, you know, making it hard for tra- like iOS is like, they're super in the privacy camp. And I'm curious, like some of this might be like, is this really like their business idea, like their business, uh, you know, uh, values or whatever, or is this just a way to like, you know, maybe Amazon and Google and Facebook are too much on their heels. So they're trying to like, you know, kick them down a notch or something and hurt, hurt their, uh, hurt their revenue streams. But, uh, anyhow, Apple is, uh, making tracking ad tracking more difficult these days. Uh, and you, you had said that they might've picked up a hot potato on that, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. Has anything evolved since the last time we talked and what's generally speaking, your, uh, your opinions and outlook on what, what Apple's doing in, in the way of blocking tracking online. Yeah, just listening, this came up on a affiliate marketing podcast I listened to this morning. And the short of the long is that uh, it does not seem to be affecting affiliate tracking right now because its affiliate parameters are not among those that are blocked in a private version of Safari or in the uh, sort of like Apple Mail. Uh, they certainly could be in the future. And I think the hot potato would come around because the if I were a marketer, what I would do is, I, you know, I would just roll it all into like one domain so it'd be like domain.com slash one two three four and then it's all then it, then it's like a game of chicken right because the apple user is going to be mad if the domain doesn't resolve and then but that's only one parameter so apple can't like strip out that parameter i mean i guess like maybe they could go to the page and then get a clean url and send it back but you know it's it's like this this game of cat and mouse and so uh, it seems you're to saying be- that so if like is you know basically Apple's stripping out like UTM parameters I think in the private Safari mode. Right. So you're saying instead of like all right if you can't use UTM parameters then for tracking you just create like you just set up like you know a separate domain and just do slash one two three four like just a regular URL without yeah, any I think what you query do with parameters. The, as the advertiser is you would and you actually see this with a couple of affiliate networks like the the, the it'll be just like one clumped parameter. And then that resolves to however many sort of additional parameters you need, like, you know, who's the affiliate, what's the ad ID, um, is there like a, you know, a click stamp, et cetera, et cetera. And so if, 
you know, if I were like an advertiser and I were like really pushed back by Apple on that, I would probably just like clump everything, at, at least at the point where it became a concern. Like, you know, they have a small share of the market, right? It's not just Safari. It's like Safari, Safari users in, in private. And if people are like that focused on their privacy, maybe all of their emails and stuff are burner accounts anyway. So it's not much lo- not much data lost. Like, you know, you still get their money if they, if they make a purchase. You still get their email yeah, or, or the some ability to contact them if they submit a lead. So what I what I would like to add, if, if I could kind of hop on my soapbox here, is that affiliate is faced with a lot of things that sort of like nibble at the edges of our ability to track properly in the channel. You know, an affiliate also, it should be said, loses out left and right. Uh, in fact, there's a guy named James Little, who's the commercial director over at Top, Top Cashback, a, a reward site in the UK. And, you know, last week or the week before, he posted something on LinkedIn about how, you know, for the for the most part, the good old days weren't, except that tracking worked and tracking often doesn't work now, right? Because somebody sees shops on one device, buys on another. Um, they have privacy settings that like block the ability of the affiliate network to track. Um, and what actually just came up very interestingly recently, this, this is an indirect um, uh, consequence, but the network CJ posted a thing earlier in August about how GA4, so this is an argument they make, but that's the GA4, Google Analytics 4, which everybody had to roll over to um, in July, um, has biases that favor Google-owned properties like, like YouTube and Google AdWords against other things like affiliate. It has to do with like tracking unique paths um, and then coming up with an algorithmic model for which, which path contributed to the conversion, which is very difficult to do. And might ultimately be more art than, than science. Yeah, I started setting up Fathom Analytics on some of my sites because, uh, you know, uh, Google Analytics 4, like I was trying to do a drill down to trim some old pages that had low traffic. And like, I couldn't drill like below a certain number of impressions over like a three month period. It wouldn't even show me the data. It would just say no data. No, that's very similar. So with the with the pathway thing for affiliate, it's like, they, according to CJ, um, it's for a minimum of 400 unique paths. But the unique path has 50 touch points. And so it could be like display to display to, to site to conversion will be different than display to display to display to site to conversion. And so if you have like um, affiliate in the mix, like a lot, then a lot of affiliate transactions could be missed. And they argued that out of a, t- a sampling of like 1,200, um, I think, merchants, that 98% of transactions would have been lost. Now, to be clear, CJ's tracking still works. But it's just if you look at like CJ's tracking and then you compare that to like what shows up in Google Analytics, you might have this huge gap. Like you know, you'll always have like a little bit of a gap, unless like you, all your tracking is informed by Google Analytics. But if that gap grows to like twenty or thirty or fifty percent or ninety percent, then that could, could create like internal conflicts. And so um, affiliate is you know time and again I think disadvantaged, um, just because of like the nature of the channel and, and the fact that it's, it's all basically paid in arrears. It's recognized in arrears, right? That doesn't happen to Google because. If you click through on Google or Facebook and you you go to a merchant site and then you buy something on your phone later or vice versa, it doesn't matter because they got their nickel for the click, right? But that doesn't happen in affiliate. And so if it's like two percent here but ten percent over there, you know the affiliate might only get paid be getting paid out for half the transactions that take place. And so I think that that's a, actually a real challenge for our space uh, to kind of counter. Uh, and I'm hoping that FDC can can help to do its part, distribution of you know custom tracking codes and, and things like that. But um, I think there's no way around it that this is this is something that erodes uh, the revenue going to the affiliate channel. 
Yeah, it's really interesting. Like you brought up even like the GA4 issue. Uh, you know, like I, I have, I think I told you I have a, I have a services firm. We do like uh, web web development and application development. And we have several clients that have come to us. Like one of them is, a, you know, has a, a, a portfolio of brands that like, you know, you, you would you would personally know a handful of the brands in the portfolio. It's pretty well known. And then we have some other properties that we're managing as well uh, under my other company, uh, Curotech. And uh, they, uh, you know, these these companies are coming to us with GA4 problems because they're like, all right, we installed GA4. We've been collecting data in GA4 for like six months now. And it doesn't match universal analytics. It doesn't match like maybe they have Matomo or maybe they have like Fathom Analytics installed. And they're like, it just doesn't line up. Like the data is not lining up. GA4 looks different. So they're like, what's happening? Is it just like not tracking properly? Do we install it wrong? You know, why, why is there data? I think in some cases, like, you know, one of one of the clients I mentioned, the, the bigger one, they have like 30 properties. And they're like, some of the properties line up perfect. Like it's exactly, you know, it's like within 5% or 2% discrepancy so it's like all right that's good and then there's other ones where the discrepancy might be like 10 or 20 percent and it's uh it's like why like why what, what's what's happening here that's uh that's causing this yeah yeah that could that can that's the potential to create like you know a lot of internal friction you know you pause campaigns you stop investing etc um so i don't know we'll see how it plays out we might you know my our own little site is on um because you know we, we're not a consumer facing site it's just b2b uh, but we're on, you know, we're on GA4 too. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird, man. There's a, you know, it's like these things change over and it just, you know, totally, uh, you know, things disrupt, like AI is now disrupting things. So it's like, it's interesting how like everything rolls over every, every few years, like everything rolls over in tech and it's like, you know, the whole game, you play, play the game by different rules every few years. But, uh, yep. Brooke, exactly. dude, it was awesome. Uh, awesome having you on today. Uh, well, sorry, was there a closing thought you, you had on that? No, no, I just said keeps keeps you on your toes. It's ever, you know, ever changing. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. But uh, yeah, it was awesome having you on today. Uh, great pod. And, uh, you know, definitely, uh, you know, want to stay in touch and talk more with you on this stuff. Great. Uh, yeah, great questions. Really enjoyed it. Thank you, Brian. Yeah.